Welcome to this week's episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest, freelance journalist Jess Spiring. Jess most recently finished up a maternity contract deputy editing Grazia, the national women's magazine. This is a really dense interview with so many nuggets to help women navigate the long, meandering journey of our careers and lives. Jess's career has spanned across national broadsheets, women's magazines, dropping off the grid completely to spend a year in Australia, working full-time, part-time, freelance, being a stay-at-home mum and volunteering. Across a range of issues, Jess shares on recognising the pain that working mums feel when they miss out on sports days and school pickups, overcoming tragic life events, Tony Robbins, power poses, and not wearing mid-calf skirts to meet the Prime Minister if you don't normally wear them. Jess's mum gave her a wonderful pearl of wisdom. She said, Jess, you're only just in your early 40s. You've got it all ahead of you career-wise, and I completely agree with her. This podcast leaves you with the sense that as a woman, even if you've done a couple of decades in your career already, everything is still possible. The best is ahead. It's about being patient and enjoying what's right in front of you. I love this conversation, and I hope it inspires you as well. did art history at university with pretty much no intention of doing anything related to art history but my parents as thrusting 80s sole business owners believed in education above all things and of course a university degree was free back then and so they absolutely encouraged us all to do whatever we wanted to do and I particularly enjoyed art history A level so off I went and did that at Warwick and was sort of spewed out at the other end thinking, I have absolutely no idea what I want to do. I'd done war artists and I found that the history was really fascinating. So I then went on to do a master's in war studies at King's in London and somehow scraped by and came out with an MA and obviously came out the other end thinking, now what the bloody hell am I going to do? By that stage, I'd loved learning about diplomacy and about how things work at the UN. And I decided that I'd go into the civil service. But for the civil service, you have to take this particular exam. No matter what you do, there was this one graduate exam that you had to take. And half of it was strings of numbers. And you had to, you know, if if it's three, six, nine, what's the next number? And I mean, it did start off that basic, but within about three questions, it was way beyond. You've lost me. I mean, I was completely lost. So I walked out. And in that period was when I met Ruben my now husband and I kind of abandoned the rest of my life and went to live in Worcester with him and then one day said oh my god what am I going to do I've got no money I really need to find a job and he and I bought the local paper and started scouring through this local paper for potential jobs and they were looking for reporters and sub-editors on the weekly newspapers in Wolverhampton so that's what I ended up going to do and so walked into journalism and I feel terrible because there's all these people who do journalism MAs and they do all these internships and they'd worked on their university paper and I'd done none of that but kind of studied paintings yeah but sort of rocked up in this funny little newsroom that was appallingly awful it was freezing cold in the winter and boiling in the summer 
it was full of flies. So we had those fly papers hanging down that were like covered in rotting dead flies. I mean, it was absolutely repugnant. And sort of learned on the job while getting horribly bullied by this really, really mean editor who just thought I was some sort of jumped up southern, you know, brat who had no right to be there. So she bullied me so mercilessly. And I worked there for about a year. But it was at that time that the Metro launched, the free free newspaper. And because all of the newspapers in, in the Midlands were terrified of this London-based newspaper being distributed for free, they launched their own and weirdly also called it the Metro. It was called the Birmingham Metro. And I was seconded to Birmingham to work on this daily newspaper. And so it was just a bit of serendipity that just got me out of Wolverhampton onto this brilliant newspaper run by brilliant people that they'd kind of sucked up from all around the business. And I just learned everything that I really needed to know on this morning newspaper. And so from there, I ended up on the Birmingham Post. And then Ruben and I both resigned our jobs and went to live in Australia for six months. And Smart move. <laughs> I think we felt a bit stuck. We bought a house in Worcester actually neither of us had any intention of working we just went and said we're just gonna doss around for six months there's no reason why we need to be on this treadmill we've got no children we've got no responsibilities we had a bit of money in the bank and so we bought a boat and it was so liberating it it cost next to nothing and it was just a really valuable six months so when we came back down we bought a flat in London and I by that time was desperate to get into magazines and I had no idea whether I'd ever ever manage it but saw an advert for a a health magazine that's closed now called Zest they were looking for a features editor and I just thought this is made for me I I loved Zest oh it was upbeat it was healthy it was Mm. I think women's magazines are not necessarily always in women's best interest there's a lot of sort of selling to women and making women question themselves but there was something really sort of positive and empowering Mm. about the magazine and it was so different because it was a monthly magazine everything was scrutinized rather than it goes to press at eight o'clock and everything's got to be finished no matter what so it sort of changed the way that I worked that's probably the happiest I've ever been professionally I were you glad you made the shift from broadsheet to magazine and not just magazine women's magazine in some respects I mean obviously it's much more niche if it's a woman's magazine it didn't matter so much because I was within that demographic and health and diet and fitness are subjects that I naturally gravitate towards it was a very comfortable space for me Mm -hmm. to work within and then later when I sort of went to work in celebrity I was a fish out of water because I just didn't care you know it was a a struggle to keep up with you know who's on Hollyoaks and who's on Big Brother I just I, I didn't know who they were and so you're always trying to learn about something that you're not naturally interested in and that's difficult so from there I just sort of reached a point where there was no nobody was moving ahead of me and there was no prospect of anybody moving and then they folded the magazine. And the sad thing for me was that my big career goal was to edit my own paper, magazine, website, whatever it was I wanted to be in charge. And I've, you know, I still haven't done it. I mean, luckily for me, it's a really small industry. And within days, I'd been called by the team at the News of the World. And they were recruiting people from all over magazines to put together this much kind of shinier, sexier celebrity magazine. The the lovely thing about Fabulous was 
they never questioned my ability to do it it was just like this is yours off you go deal with production get it working get all your copy in on time you know we'll flash things but ultimately it's your baby and I loved working like that having What's that much kind of I'm going to sort of put it under your nose so that you can cast your eye over maybe the head and the cell the headline the headline and the cell is normally the little sort of you know drop in paragraph that describes what okay. the story's about it was a huge intense job they had enormous budgets and it was so creative and so fun and once did we get to see Rupert no never did we get to see Rebecca I didn't I was one level too low but she was around and we had the best fun we would come up with the most insane concept and there was the money to do it so there was one I think we were shooting I don't know Kerry Katona and it was in some leather up outfit with a sort of flaming car behind her and we just sort of pitched it as like well we want to do this and we want to shoot this and we want this photographer and this is how we want it to look and everyone would just be like yeah sounds great do it and those days are absolutely gone Mm. it is not like that now magazines are closing left right and center Mm. people are doing sort of three you know the jobs of three people now Mm. and everything has to be done for the web and for print and you know how can we cut costs on this and can we really afford that picture and it's just a lot less fun you know we're in survival mode all of us and I think it's a rare thing for for there to be sort of happy journalistic teams now because they're they're afraid and they're not sure when the axe is going to fall it's really tough times do you see a way I want to go back to your story but do you see a way with the industry to recreate that that happiness and the and the creative flow when everything goes digital I mean, I don't, I don't believe there's going to be a time when there's no print left. No. I think that's unlikely. I think that having something in your hand and the the joy of glossy that's images, a big um, coffee table, yeah, Vogue I, is. I think the around. more niche you are, mm-hmm. the, I mean, that seems to be the case. Yeah. The more niche you are, the longer you're going to survive. So, yes, I think I think it is possible to recreate that creativity and it probably comes from managers absolutely protecting people below them i've always said managing a team is a bit like being a parent it's you've got to give high praise but you've got to give high boundaries and Mm so sometimes as the parent you don't roll your stress downhill you take the stress (laughs) and you just leave them free to do the creative thinking yeah i think so do their best work i think so yeah I think any creativity comes from confidence. I know for myself, if I'm writing something and I come to work and I sit at my desk and I'm feeling like, you know, I'm no good at this, my writing will suffer. And so I just go and put my headphones on and put something thrusting on. Absolutely. And just talk to myself and say, come on, you can do this. And let's, you know, think about all the millions of times you've done this before you've got this. Then I can get that creativity going. But it doesn't work if you come at it in a sort of, I don't know. No way. So from news of the world, no less, yeah. to... <laughs> so when I was on New Woman, I'd had a miscarriage. I had a miscarriage, the magazine closed, and I threw myself straight into Fabulous because it was all a bit, you know, a bit of an unhappy time. And I didn't really want to think about anything and I was out of work. And so Fabulous sort of occupied that space in my brain. But it was an incredibly intense job. It took an extraordinary amount of energy just to put that out week on week and maintain that enthusiasm for it. And after the miscarriage, I knew that the only way I'd be fixed was having a baby and putting, 
you know, drawing a line under this trauma of having a miscarriage. London is so thrusting and ambitious yeah, that it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult just to either stand still or say, I'm going to step off this for mm-hmm. a bit because it's not serving me. And in the end, I just resigned and I went freelance. But actually, Fabulous had still had fairly big budgets. And so they gave me a lot of work to do. And I, you know, made some new contacts and I just worked from home and we bought a dog. It felt like a step out of work, work, work and into family, I guess. It just kind of made us a bit more home centric. And during that time, I did eventually fall pregnant with Tilda. And in the end, I took maybe three or four years out because I then went on to have Bibi. I had another miscarriage in between the girls. Um, And that was even more traumatic because it was late. I was 20 weeks pregnant. So I had to have a, I had to deliver um, the baby, which is beyond awful. Um, And then that was, that that set me back quite a lot. That was very emotionally tricky. But then luckily we did fall pregnant very quickly with Bibi, so that kind of completed our family. I think the early days of children is so exhausting and it taxes everything. I don't, I've never met anybody who doesn't say the early days of your second child are not just unbelievably gruelling. So we got a nanny. Yeah. That was the only way to do it, was yeah. to get a full-time nanny. Are you freelancing or...? No, I went in to do exactly the same as I'd done on Fabulous for now. So the yes. Sally, the editor of Fabulous, had then gone to now. And because she knew me so well from Fabulous, she came in and said, you're senior, you know what you're doing, please will you come and just get this running on How rails. How happy would she have been to hear that you were back? <laughs> I think I think she knew that I could manage it having embraced it so thoroughly on Fabulous I think she knew that that was how I liked to work mm. and that was how she liked to have someone working with yeah. her and I think I ended up staying something like a year I absolutely loved it for the first maybe four months I just was in my element it was the joy of being on the tube and yeah. having time to myself and diff- needing to wear different clothes I'd started losing weight so I came back as this kind of new person just absolutely ready to put on office clothes and and get back amongst the workplace and then I ended up going freelance for them because it started to not work it started to feel like I wasn't spending enough time with the children Mm -hmm. and I felt very out of touch with the school drop-off you Mm -hmm. know that you're if your nanny is always doing a drop off mm. to nursery, you don't know who any of the parents yep. are and you don't know how well your mm. child is getting on. And it just didn't feel like quite the right thing to do. And I think I also felt a bit disillusioned with the with the subject matter because now it's yep. much more tabloid. And I think the money had started to become an issue for magazines by mm. then. So there was a lot of if you can use somebody's Instagram, use somebody's Instagram rather mm. than buying in a picture it all felt a lot less shiny and a lot less fun and a bit thankless. And so I ended up writing Beauty out of house for them and just sort of stepped back and wanted to be at home all the time. That money then dried up. They had to take Mm -hmm. all of the beauty back in house. And so that job, Mm -hmm. you know, I lost that job. And I sat at home and I had been reading a Tony Robbins book. And one of the lessons that he's talking about is, you know, you're not, 
lacking resources you're lacking resourcefulness and his point being you know sit down and have a real think about what is already available to you Mm. and that particular morning there's a an email that comes around which is a kind of journalism industry email and it's Mm -hmm. all the movement where people are going there's also a job email that is part of this newsletter and it arrived in my inbox and it was you know acting deputy editor of Grazia must have this this and this experience and I remember looking at this email and thinking they just never consider me and so this really added to this sense of like I'm never going to get a job that I really want and that will give me the Mm -hmm. self-respect that I'm craving and I was thinking about this Tony Robbins point about you know am I just lacking resourcefulness and I thought you know what I'm just going to go and have a look through my emails and I've got a folder and it's just called contacts and whenever I've made somebody a contact or some a touch base with somebody that I think is influential or is part of my network I will just put the email in this Mm. contacts folder and there's only maybe 10 emails in there but they're kind of people that I don't know terribly well so I couldn't reach out to them but I've had contact with them Mm. for one reason or another and I was scanning through this I was thinking right let's have a look let's see let's see who I do know let's put an email out saying I'm available you know if you need freelance work writing doing or shifting then I'm free and as I was scrolling through this folder there was an email from Natasha the editor of Grazia from maybe a year previous perhaps when I'd been at now asking me to interview to be an associate editor I'd completely forgotten that she'd reached out to me and I'd obviously totally batted her away and dismissed it no thanks don't want an office job but I had squirreled away this email. So anyway, there's this email from her asking me to be emailed. So I thought, I'm just going to forward this back mm. to her and say, look, you reached out to me before. Mm. I think, you know, we know quite a few people in common. And by the end of the day, I'd got an interview. And I wanted to know that I had yep. absolutely brought my best self. So I read every single magazine, every mm. single newspaper. I was up to date with every single website so that the ideas that I presented were the best and the shiniest and the newest Mm -hmm. that I could possibly create. Mm -hmm. And so even if I hadn't got it, I could look myself in the face and say, well, they are the best ideas that I've got. If I was editing this magazine, I'd have been thrilled with those ideas. Mm -hmm. Not only did I work tirelessly on the kind of pre-interview work that they'd asked me to do, I also rang everybody I knew that might know her and might have some leverage you know if you've got any way of influencing this could you put a great word in for me you know it wasn't just sitting back and saying I've just sent my CV I just thought what can I do to maximize my chances and to talk to everybody I possibly can you took Tony's (laughs) advice didn't you because that's I did that's resourcefulness in action what do I have in my hand who do I have in my hand yeah and putting it all together what I love about what you're saying is that I think that when you were going through that process of that week where you thought I'm doing my best work here yes the end goal was to secure that job at Grazia but also so you knew that you could still do it is that true so that you you knew that you still had what it took I don't know if I hadn't got it I don't know if it had been utterly crushing probably not I think I probably would have allowed myself to be proud for even trying because it was such an unexpected it, I think industry-wide, it was I was quite a surprise choice. But equally, I said, mm-hmm. you know, what does she need to hear? And so I was able to say things in the interview that showed that I am loyal. Because you knew that was important to her because you'd done your research. Yes. 
yeah and that she absolutely needed some backup and mm. that it was a tricky team and it's a tricky time mm. and I was able to emphasize that was what I was going to be there to do and that was also just a little nugget of information that I'd got by asking Clever. everybody what did I need to know about mm. this job but it was a sort of dogged I'm not going to let that little voice in my head that says I can't do it rule I am going to think of all the things that I could do to just nail it and make it happen and you know really really believe that if I'm going to look back on this and say I did get it these were the steps that I'd taken and that I had pursued everything so I was absolutely dogged you left no stone unturned exactly that doesn't sound like serendipity to me at all that sounds like a really purposeful Mm. process that you just thought right what have I what's in my arsenal that I can bring to play Mm. and what's genius is you bother to find out what her pain points were Mm. because that it almost doesn't matter what your CV looks like. If you can go in and demonstrate that you can hit her pain points mm. and take them away mm. in the person that you are, then that's so effective. Mm. <laughs> the other two things that I did was having watched TED Talks about, um, you know, the thing about standing up and you know, putting your arms in the yeah. air. I'd read that. So I think I did that prior to my interview. Excellent. In the loose. In the loose. And I also listened to Sia, The Greatest, it's such an inspiring, yes. high-energy yes. song. And it was all part of this kind of listening to Tony Robbins and kind of ordering your energy to sort of come in and bring this kind of confidence and this can-do attitude. And so I did just walk in like, I've got this. I'm owning yeah. this because I've been listening yeah. to this song. When you look at other people who are going to these kind of interviews, you think, oh my God, they seem so calm and they're so able to like walk in and command a room. And they might just have done exactly what they I did, have, which is like yep. washing yourself down with some ludicrous and really loud pop song. And power posing. And power posing. Did you wear a new outfit for the interview? I didn't. I expressly chose clothes that I would feel comfortable in, completely myself in. And I didn't totter. I didn't, you know, I didn't go in in heels. I didn't. Mm. I mean, I'd obviously Instagrammed the two people that I was meeting to get some sense of what mm. their style was like. But I thought, I have to be entirely myself. If they're going to rate what I'm wearing... I mean, it's a fashion magazine, for God's sake, so of course they're judging what you're wearing. But I thought, if they're going to say, well, you're too, you know, old, frumpy, fat, whatever, Mm. I don't want that job. I've Mm -hmm. got to go in as myself, and I'm only going to be able to do the kind of seer, I can do this, if I totally felt like I wasn't outside of my own, you know, my own skin. (laughs) Which, in fact, reminds me of... When I was at Zest, I went to um, Downing Street once for... a a kind of meet the press thing and I met Tony Blair and at Zest we we were incredibly casual in the office and I used to wear just kind of jeans and a t-shirt and trainers it was really really low-key and I didn't know I was going to number 10 until about three o'clock on the afternoon and you obviously have to be smart I mean mm. you don't obviously have to be smart but I was representing the magazine so I got dragged off into the fashion cupboard and styled up to go and meet Tony Blair and I've never felt so uncomfortable in my life because I was wearing clothes that I would never wear, like it was some sort of mid-calf skirt. and It was just such a reminder to me that it's like you should never allow anyone to dress you because you just feel so uncomfortable. Anyway, there's Tony Blair. So how was Grazia? It was very challenging. So I turned up as a relative unknown a lot of the people who work there rightly feel very passionately about the magazine and so I think they probably would have wanted it to be somebody 
a bit show busy you know somebody mm. who was really well known and I'd been out of the game for a really long time and it didn't matter to them how well I could present myself in an interview it mattered that I was somebody that the industry would all be sitting up saying well you know Grazia's obviously going from strength to strength because mm. they've managed to recruit yep. whoever Grazia was the you know top selling had come from nowhere you know weekly magazine it turned fashion magazines on their head because it was a fashion magazine that was weekly it was premium mm. it was aspirational we were covering the primrose hill set it was so glamorous and we were all living in that bubble in our kind of 20s and 30s of everything in london was fabulous the added credibility of the, those 10 news stories at the beginning so it wasn't just glamour and celebrity it was these are real stories about war-torn countries and the things yeah. that you need to know yeah and it was in a digestible form. It yeah. gave you the kind of grazia take on yeah. whatever the news story was that we get on our phones now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're already abreast of whatever mm-hmm. is happening in, you know, countries around the world. And so a lot of the reasons for buying it no longer exist because mm-hmm. a smartphone has taken that out of our hands or in, put it in our hands, rather. For you coming in, you're a, you're a lateral hire, You've got to build up your internal network super fast mm. to meet these crazy deadlines. Mm. It's incredibly high profile. The expectations on you are massive. Mm. You're in an industry that is, is severely challenged. Mm. It feels like everything was going against yeah. you. Yeah, it was exhausting. Almost that high energy confidence that I'd generated yeah. for the interview to maintain that every day was really really not tough sustainable. not only were there long hours but you have to work at the weekend because you're never off because you've got to keep abreast of what's happening over the weekend because come monday morning you'd have a three-hour conference where if you didn't know something that had been going on you know you lose your credibility right so there are no duvet days there's there's no i'm just not i i can't engage with the world today i'm not reading a paper you know you can't go on holiday for a week and come back saying somebody's got to bring me up to speed because I've been away that just is not going to work. there was wash. no wi-fi and with a family that is incredibly right. difficult I mean you and I know you don't really get a Sunday you know drinking coffee reading the papers it's mm. you know activities and can you play this with me and homework and you know it's not enjoyable and it the, the sad thing is it does take away the joy of yeah. staying informed you know it becomes a burden and in fact, when I did finish, I did have a kind of month or so of just not reading anything mm. and just having a break. And but you made a really brave decision, didn't you? Because your contract was... F- how long were you committed for? Well, I was doing maternity cover, so I ended up doing nine mm. months. I wanted to be sure that I had proven myself, not only to myself, but to the team. I think they were slightly looking at me side-eyed, expecting me to not be able to do the job and so I just hung in there long enough that when I did go certainly some of them were sad to see me go it'd been so challenging that people coming and saying oh please don't go can't you stay until Christmas can't you stay a few more Mm. weeks was what I needed to hear and that was that showed me that it was the right length of time and I was absolutely ready to come back and spend some time with my kids Mm. and be on the school ground and see my friends. But what's interesting to me, because I've known you through that contract, is that 
it was the kudos in securing it in the first place. We were all so blown away. We knew you were good, but wow, it was grazia. And what I've seen since you took the, the brave move to say this isn't this isn't working anymore, is you've you take up more space. You know, you you are your face is more open. I mean, you're glowing. So <laughs> you you know you Thanks. genuinely. Are, I know you've had a lot of free makeup products, <laughs> but. But this is coming from within, and I just have seen you flourish and say, I'm making a bold move. I know better than this. This is just not working for mm. this and this reason. Mm. I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to, it's going to be a clean break. Mm. And you've just stepped back into yourself. It's funny because everything you say about the status of the job, I think I'd begun to wonder whether I still had a place in journalism and yeah. whether I needed to change industry or or give up altogether you know I really was questioning myself and I guess looking back now that was a kind of do or die job it's like if I if I get this I could believe in myself still as a journalist and working at this level and so when I got the phone call that I got the job it was an extraordinary like validation of everything that I had done prior to that but weirdly, because it was so tricky, almost the thing I loved most about it was the signature on my email, you know, that I could say to people, this is the job that I've landed. But the reality was so wildly off. Mm. It, it was just a funny disconnect between, mm. in some ways, it was f- absolutely fantastic. And even now, when I talk to people, it's given me that kind of sheen yeah. of being, you know, someone who is you know, able to take on a very senior role. And yet, I've probably never been professionally more miserable. Mm. <laughs> so I'm you before you went to Grazia. Mm. Now you can see the beginning from the end. What would your advice be to me? Should I take the job? Because it's, oh, it's going to be on my question. CV forever. Mm. I'll have all of those experiences. My network will be enhanced. Mm. It's going to be tricky, but I'm going to get some great mm. experience. What mm. should I do? Oh, I mean, take it every time. Mm-hmm. It, it, take it knowing that you can limit its influence and that yeah. you know nothing lasts forever. And the way I often think about it is that nobody can ever take that away from me. It doesn't no. matter what I do now. I mm. did do that big punchy senior role and I edited the magazine by myself all the time if you know Natasha wasn't there or when it was fashion week and she wasn't available I would step up and I loved it and my career goal of editing a magazine I probably won't ever do it now and I'm not even sure I want to do it because I don't want that responsibility in such a taxed industry however you did it I did do it and I'm proud of the issues that I worked on and I was able to make the decisions and collaborate and yet still be responsible at the end of the day for every decision that was taken Mm. and I loved it I like being in charge and making the decisions Mm. but importantly it did teach me I don't want to be an editor I don't need to scratch that itch anymore because I realized the toll that it would take on my family is too high and I'm not willing to pay that price and I I am quite hands-on as a mum and I explained it once to somebody as being like a like a kind of grief, you know, that mm. I'd missed sports day or I'd missed a, mm. an event. And I remember Sarah, one of the mums, sending a picture of Tilda had a gymnastics show. And so she WhatsApped me 
some pictures of Tilda at the show, but it felt like such a fail, parent fail. And those things matter so much more than any mm. sort of career fail. You know, you can't take that back. Mm. And she has probably long since forgotten it, but I probably never will. I mean, I, I think there are many positives about, you know, I'm not, it's not about, you know, I don't think mums should work, but I think it might be helpful if the mums that do work full time were able to say sometimes about the pain and the anxiety that comes with being that person who's always slightly five minutes behind everything that you need to be doing. And I remember when I went back to work and I had this overwhelming desire to to text Ben. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And he yeah he was fine when I went back to work. Um, and I definitely don't want him to have a phone yeah. anytime soon. What I see that you've done is that you've had all these seasons and you've come out the other side. And that's a really encouraging message for somebody who's thinking about coming back to work, that any decision you make is not forever. Mm. You can change your mind. Mm. You can stop doing mm. it. And you can say to yourself, this is not what I thought it was mm. and it's fine to walk away. Mm. And giving yourself that permission, I don't think we do. I think we just feel like we have to keep on succeeding and, and doing the right thing and being seen to be doing the right thing. And it's just rubbish. I absolutely agree with you. I think we need to be more empowered in our negotiations, both when you're taking a job and later down the line. Mm. And I think very often, if you say, this isn't working for me, mm. I'm desperately missing my children, people will try to accommodate you. Yeah. If you're a hard worker yeah. and you're pulling your weight and they value you, it's astonishing what people will oh. accept in the terms of... The cost of replacing you yeah. is, is huge. Yeah. You, you're in there, you know the job, you're just asking to do a few drop-offs or... Right. And it should be the same for men as well. I'm of not, course. I'm not just saying that women should have this right, but we're far more effective if we're allowed to work flexibly. Mm, mm. Because different, people have different working patterns, don't mm. they? Some people are morning people, some people are even, mm. evening people. And I think that the world generally just needs to get better, allowing people that flexibility so they don't lose great talent because they're devastated that they miss gymnastics. Right. Go to gymnastics, come back to work. I mean, I, and in fact, when Pretend I did... Pretend you're enjoying gymnastics. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, when I did say to Natasha, you know, I'm absolutely devastated, I'd missed this. She said, well, you should have gone, you know, if we'd have known, you yeah. could have gone. And of course I could have gone. It was, it was never that kind of workplace that was inflexible. Equally, there was a certain amount of work that I had to get done, and I probably sure. wouldn't have been able to give myself the time off. But in terms of the seasonality, I think you're right. I, I mean, I sometimes feel sheepish about how much I've chopped and changed and that I've gone in and out of the workplace, you know, that I miss working and then I go full time and then I quit and then I'm a full time mum and then that doesn't work for me and then I go, part, you know, and I'm always questing for this perfect scenario. But I suppose they're right for you at that time. At the moment, I feel like I need to work from home. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need some time where I've got a bit more flexibility. At other times, I might feel like I want the camaraderie and I want a set pay mm. check at the end of the month. Yep. And I don't feel that apologetic. Also, you do your work for age concern. Yeah. Let's face it, ageing society, lonely society, we desperately need you to be taking this time out 
to be having a more integrated life and doing those other things that you love to do. Yeah, it feels important to me at the moment to have a bit more balance and share myself around the children and Mm. doing some work for charity. And it's a luxury to have that time to Mm. be able to do it. It's important to me to be giving something back. That Mm. feels like a full picture. That feels like a full and rich life to me that Mm. I'm around for my kids some of the time I'm working for myself some of the time I'm volunteering a bit of the time Mm. so so before you told me this whole story you looked like you were living the dream now I understand the hard work that went into getting to that point and that's really impressive because you've made choices the whole way along you've made enormous sacrifices you've had really painful experiences really painful experiences that have shaped you yeah but it's feasible to think that there could be another season where you don't have this pull to be uh, around the children as much doing the charity work doing little bits of freelancing can you see that yeah Mm. very much so I mourn my pre-children kind of ambitious self and I would love to bring her back Mm. and I have you know the Grazia job was absolutely about fulfilling Mm you know the ambitions of a much younger version of myself but my mum is always saying you know you're only just into your 40s your time will come and I even now see the children need you less and less and crave your time less and less and so I suspect that you know maybe two three years from now it'll be incredibly easy to go back absolutely full-time and not have those kind of pangs of I'm missing these important moments. I love to think that all of my best work is ahead of me and I can afford to be a little bit patient about that and I can enjoy this time Mm. where, you know, am I I pushing as much as I could career-wise? No, and I I don't want to I want because I need to keep things integrated. Mm. I need to be able to get home and Mm. see the children before they go to bed. That's my choice for now, Mm. and it'll be different. And Mm. you're right, you know, there'll be a time when the children just want to get shot of me. (laughs) (laughs) So I may as well work. But now it's, they want to be around. And it's it's nice to know that it's, there's there's a season. I keep going back to that. There's a time for everything, and there'll be another time. I'll get another crack at this, Mm. like you have. Mm. And I also think being a parent has made me better at my job. In your darkest moments, you can feel like you've taken an enormous step back, but you're never stepping back. You're you're either paused so. or you're stepping forward. And yeah. I even think the time out that mums take to be with their children are steps forward. I think I you learn agree. more about yourself. You learn what you love. I mean, mm. you know, guys really would benefit from having a year out to do something, Mm. anything else, to say, Mm. do you really want to carry on doing what you're doing? And that you cannot blindly jump straight back into your career once you've had that time out as a mum. You have to really seriously think about what part of that job did I want? Is this Mm. industry still right for me? You know, can I make the money work? Is that the most important thing? Do I want to work part-time? And, you know, I've worked part-time and it is difficult because they're not the status jobs generally. But sometimes you just have to weigh that against, well, mm. but right now that's what works for my family yeah. and I'm bringing some money in, but I get home on time 
and it's an opportunity I guess being a mum to question those things and I'm excited that women that I know who aren't mums are doing the same and are questioning absolutely do having time out or do they really need to be working full-time do they want to be volunteering how do they add some value to their life you have to take that time out and even Mm. you know be it three months six months a year that is time to cogitate (laughs) (laughs) and glow absolutely glowing (laughs) Jess thank you 